I'm Dan Carell, CEO of the Digital Commerce Alliance, and this is Commerce Code, a weekly digital commerce podcast for leaders in card linking, loyalty and digital marketing, mobile wallets and payments, and financial data. Thanks for joining this running conversation with leaders in the industry. And if this podcast is helpful to you, come join us at the Digital Commerce Alliance. You can learn more at www.digcomall.org. This week, Dan is talking with Shwetab Gotham from Harness. We'll be learning more about how his organization is building tools and infrastructure to connect payments with purpose. Before we get to that interview, we'll dig into several big stories in digital commerce from the past week. Consumer demand for credit is rising. How market disruption is affecting Visa and MasterCard. This holiday season, consumers are spending, despite higher prices. And Apple tops the list, again, of the most valuable brands in the world. All that is ahead, and of course, the main event, harnessing the power of the consumer, with our guest today, Shwetab Gotham from Harness. Commerce Code is brought to you in part by Vantage Score. Nine of the top 10 banks and over 3,000 leading banks and fintechs use Vantage Score to predict and manage repayment risk. Learn more about the latest advances in credit scoring and how to grow your lending business by leveraging financial inclusion at VantageScore.com. Consumer demand for credit cards is up. Lender rejection rates are down. 26.7% of U.S. consumers applied for a new card in the last 12 months. That's up 3.6 percentage points over the previous year, according to data recently released by the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. Among those who applied for credit cards, just 18.5% reported their applications were rejected. That's down 2.4 percentage points over the previous year. In a separate report, the New York Fed announced that credit card balances rose 15% from a year earlier during the third quarter, the largest increase in over 20 years. During the pandemic, many Americans paid down their credit accounts. With fewer expenses and more dollars in their pockets thanks to government stimulus, their balances shrank. But now that most of us are back to traveling, eating out, and otherwise spending, credit cards are getting a workout again. Disruptors in the financial technology world are moving into a space Visa and MasterCard have dominated for years. There are 332 fintech unicorns in the world, according to a new ranking by small business portal Fintech Labs. Eight of the top 10 are billion-dollar companies that deal with payments. PayPal, Ant, Stripe, Shopify, Adyen, Block, Checkout.com, and Afterpay. What's driving the industry growth? A recent Financial Times article lays out some helpful observations. First, cash is in sharp decline. Second, there has been a huge increase in the use of digital payments. But so far, the rise of new payments companies hasn't led to spectacular Kodak or Blockbuster-style crashes among the losers. Visa and MasterCard are still going strong. Both are trading at near-record highs. Visa's annual net income is up 21%. So, what's going on? The market newcomers aren't fundamentally disrupting the market. They're just inserting themselves into an existing payments infrastructure. What they're doing is not to the detriment of Visa and MasterCard. In part, this is because the fintechs, big and small, 
still ride on the electronic rails of the two credit card giants. There are forces at work, namely Twitter, crypto, JP Morgan, and China's Alipay and WeChat that could change all that. If they gain serious traction, that Kodak moment may yet come to pass for the industry's established players. Another recent piece from FT analyzed consumers and the holiday shopping season. It seems consumers are resilient and retailers have reason to be cautiously optimistic. While inflation is at its highest since the early 1980s, retailers are optimistic about the holiday shopping season as fear of the pandemic and supply chain disruptions recede. Sales growth of 4.5% year-over-year is expected, according to SNP Global Market Intelligence. The National Retail Federation is even more optimistic. The NRF expects holiday retail sales to grow 6 to 8% in 2022. Inflation is prompting consumers to seek out promotional offers to save money, says shopping center industry group ICSC. These same consumers are also turning to credit card borrowing to cover holiday costs. As we noted earlier, U.S. card balances recently saw their steepest year-over-year increase in 20-plus years. For the 10th consecutive year, Apple topped the list of the most valuable brands in the world, according to a list kept by Interbrand. A decade ago, Apple was number two, just behind Coca-Cola. Apple first made the list of most valuable brands in 2000, 24 years after its founding in 1976. Tech companies, many of whom are involved in digital commerce, round out much of the 2022 list behind Apple. The rest of the list includes Microsoft, Amazon, Google, Samsung, Toyota, Coca-Cola, Mercedes-Benz, Disney, and Nike. We reached back in time to Interbrand's ranking of most valuable brands, two eye-opening snippets from those lists. In 2002, number six was Nokia, and in the same year, number nine was Marlboro. Today on the show, Dan is having a conversation with Shwetab Gotham at Harness. Harness works with thousands of companies to make it easy for millions of people to program their payment cards to make charitable contributions, deposit to personal savings, or take other actions every time they use their card. Join us next Tuesday, December 6th in Washington, D.C. for our DCA Summit, Harnessing the Disruption, Succeeding at Digital Commerce in a Recession Economy. Come join other executives from leading financial, retail, and technology firms to access the path to success in the face of economic challenges and disruptive new technologies. Head over to our website at digcomall.org to reserve your spot, in person or via Zoom. Shwetab, thank you so much for joining us today on Commerce Code. Where are you joining us from? Hey, Daniel. Thank you so much for having me. I'm joining you from Harness. We are a financial data platform that enables any Visa or MasterCard cardholder to program their card their way. Excellent. All right. Well, look, I wanted to talk a little bit about just the business and the business model, because as I've gotten to know you, it's just been kind of an interesting thing. So you all uh, sort of started with ideas relating to charity and giving in the card market, but it's evolving. So I just wanted to see if you could start us off with Harness overall and how things have kind of evolved for Harness. As you mentioned, we did start off on the giving side where the mechanism was effectively, you know, Harness provided the platform through which cardholders could enroll their card. 
and then round up their transactions to a charity of their choice. What we found is there's a few problems in the industry, in the card industry, right? We noticed that you know, all the top issuers own the rewards. These are really expensive rewards and loyalty programs to issue. So it becomes pretty expensive for you know, local or regional banks or credit unions to compete on those rewards or that interchange. Another thing that we saw was we saw a lot of the uh, flavor of the month type products, right? Where we have entire companies built on one value prop, whether it's crypto or carbon offset or plant a tree or student loan repayment. And then the last thing that we noticed was, you know, with all the regulation with Durbin, it really puts interchange and rewards on edge and liable to change at any given time. So, you know, as you mentioned, we started off with giving, but more recently, we directly plugged into the Visa and MasterCard direct auth rails, which now enables us to build more, right? We started off on giving, but now we can go out and build a crypto program or an I-bonds program or a student loan repayment program. So what we want to figure out now is what's most important to these financial institutions and what's most important to their consumers and how can we build a roadmap that aligns with those needs across both the FIs and the consumers. So if I'm a consumer, how does it basically work from my perspective? So as a consumer, it's actually the easiest part where you log into your normal banking experience and now you have a mechanism that says, hey, you can donate to your local charity. All you have to do is enroll your card, right? And that can happen in a mobile experience or a web experience. The consumers have full control over you know, which card they enroll. They have to opt into the program. They have controls over how much they want to donate, who they donate to. We have 1,300 plus charities on our platform, and we've processed over 100 million in donations. So the platform is large. The reach is very large, and consumers have full control over how they enroll their card, where they enroll it, and how much they're donating. So, I, so I've picked a charity that I'm passionate about. I'm, I'm able to kind of round up. Is it is it a rewards points? You know, like what am I? What is it that I'm ultimately giving? There's a spectrum there, right? We have some credit unions and banks that say, "Hey, we love the idea of just a hundred percent donation to charities." That's an option. We have an option where people want to gamify the transaction, right? And that's swipe and say, okay, actually 50% of your roundup will go to charity and 50% will go to a prize pool, right? So we'll work with the, the credit unions and the banks and say, hey, do you want a winner for a, an Amazon gift card or Dunkin' Donuts or American Airlines or what have you, right? And we say, do you want that to happen for every one in five swipes, one in 10 swipes, one in 20, et cetera, right? So now what you're doing is you're gamifying the swipe so consumers are not only donating to causes that are important to them, but they're also getting something out of it in the form of a reward. I imagine over time you'll figure out what systems tend to work best. I'm sure it's different from person to person, maybe maybe from institution to institution, but you'll have, if you will, a lot of A, B, and B, C, and whatever kind of testing in terms of, well, does it generate more energy and excitement if you're doing the 50-50 split or if it's 100% giving or whatever else? Is I don't know if you have any, any sense up front of, of what, what do you find to be kind of the most popular format for doing it? That's sort of the beauty of the Harness platform is that we can build it effectively to the needs and requirements of our partners, right? This is just one use case. There's a whole another use case where, you know, you can go and build something like a disaster relief product where a hurricane or a tornado has affected your community and you want 100% of donations to go to that cause in that moment, right? So as a consumer, I would just turn on that switch. Say I have 
100% of my roundups go to the sweepstakes, right? Effectively the gamification, but then a hurricane hits my area. And now I can switch over and say, actually, I want my roundups to go to this hurricane or this tornado that has affected my community, right? So the beauty of it is the platform is malleable. It's flexible. It can be built to meet the needs of whatever is relevant to the consumer at that point in their lives. So you go to nonprofits and, and obviously it's, you've had an easy time, it sounds like, with them, or maybe, it, maybe it's not been easy, but certainly you've got a lot of nonprofits who've been excited to partner with you. Uh, you're setting up donation channels for them, but then you've got the Visa and MasterCard angle. So you're including financial institutions sort of in that process too. Talk to me about how that has changed for you guys. Once we saw the success on the giving side, the Visa MasterCard angle let us sort of expand on how we're thinking about the platform. Now with what we're calling Harness FI, we're able to go out to financial institutions and say, hey, you have card programs that you can augment and enhance to bring them to top of wallet. So now if you have cardholders that haven't used their cards in the past, now they might be more inclined to use their own cards from the credit union because now they're saying, hey, I can actually donate to a cause that's really close to my heart. Or, hey, I can actually get prizes towards things where I actually spend a lot of money. The best part about this is there's no integration required with the bank's core or the credit union's core. There are some fantastic core providers out there that have enabled these banks to sort of come to modern day technology. And those are very important parts of the stack. But where we live is right outside of that. We build on top of that. No integration required. The idea of financial empowerment is really important to us. And we're exploring different ways in which we can get to market quickly with really powerful value props. But again, we're working very closely with credit unions and FIs to figure out what those use cases are and how to best execute against them. A couple quick details. It seems like I know, I think from talking to you guys being on your website, you partner with Stripe, you partner with MasterCard, and you've talked a lot about your partner with banks and credit unions, et cetera. What are the significant payments players or other folks you'd mentioned that you partner with? Because it seems like that's kind of a key part of how you make this all happen. So obviously MasterCard and Visa are huge partners of ours. They've enabled us to do a lot with not only the charity and the giving side, but giving us blessing on a number of other use cases as we move forward. We work very closely with the ICBA for banks and and sort of the long tail folks that are out there in the industry. When you think about it, there's thousands of banks out there and credit unions. So the opportunity is large. And right now, from a distribution perspective, we are in conversations with various credit union leagues and associations and coalitions. These folks know the credit union space very deeply. They know their needs. They know their consumers. They understand their appetite for digital innovation. So those are the types of partnerships that we are currently striking. And, you know, we've been received uh, in a very positive manner because what we found is the value prop of enabling people to, whether it's disaster relief or, you know, whether it's gamifying the swipe or whether it's donating to charity, right? These are pulling at different strings than your traditional rewards and cash back and loyalty programs do. And we found that it's resonating a lot because it's a completely new platform that folks haven't really had a chance to be exposed to in the past. You know, you, you guys are scrappy and successful and, and yet still somewhat young, I guess, as an organization. I always want to ask companies like this, what's been harder than you thought it would be? 
Yeah, it's, it's a fantastic question. There's a lot. I'd say the top two things are the idea of harness and we're a tertiary card layer, right? So it's so new. It's, it's harder for that to really resonate with banks and credit unions that, you know, this is not replacing what you've built for loyalty or for rewards. It's additive. It does not interfere with any core. I'd say the second thing is to get folks to understand that this is completely decoupled from interchange. I think whenever people start talking about rewards and loyalty, their first reaction is to go to your interchange economics, which aren't always the best, right? So to to go in and inform people that this is completely decoupled, the mechanism here is round up. So it's entirely consumer funded. So really the only cost, quote unquote, to financial institutions is the economics that they have with us. Otherwise, consumers are really going in and funding their own, whether it's their own 529 plan for their children or funding their own insurance premium, whatever the the use case is, it's entirely consumer funded. And that, again, is very powerful. But from a financial institution perspective, it's almost like, oh, we don't have to pay for this, you know. So it, it, that that's been the two biggest things that we've made sure that we're very clear and explicit about in our conversations. You're doing well enough that some stuff must have been easier than you thought, or at least it went well. Uh, what would you say was the the easy part of this, if there was one? <laughs> I wouldn't consider anything easy. While explaining what we do and why we do it is is really simple. The back end of all of this is actually very deeply complex. It has taken a village to create something that is both impactful, not only from a social perspective, but from an economic and financial empowerment perspective, but something that's also seamless for the end user and getting those relationships that we have in place for the data, for the funnel, for the execution and the marketing. Those have all been very, very complex conversations. So I wouldn't say anything has been easy, but the execution of it, because we've done so much work on the back end, the execution of it, whether it's contracting, whether it's actually implementing and launching, those things have become easier now as we've scaled. Let's fast forward to, uh, you know, eight years from now, it's 2030. You've had whatever success you're looking for. It's the office holiday party. What are you looking back on? Like, what do you, what's the dream in terms of what you think you can build? Because we've talked a lot about the charity stuff, but I know that there's a bigger picture there for RNSFI. And I just, I'd love to get your angle on, you know, what's the, what's the dream? Absolutely. I think the dream is that we've disrupted how consumers think about rewards and loyalty and we've evolved how financial institutions distribute rewards and loyalty to consumers. The North Star here is that in 2030 or whatever the date was, you know, that someone gets a card, they aren't signing up for a new card every 12 to 24 months because there's a new flavor of the month or there's a new value prop or there's a new trend. In 2030, you know, I don't know what will be the trend at that point in time. What I do know is that Harness will be in a position to build whatever that trend is and build into it and offer that into your card that you got in 2022. That's what we see success as, is, you know, in the future, you're not getting a new card for every small new thing that happens or every small new trend that, that comes out. You just use what you have today and you're able to evolve that over time. And you are always up to date with the latest and greatest, whatever that may be. That's great. And I think that's a great place to leave it. Shwetab, thank you so much for this conversation, for your time, and certainly look forward to seeing what the future path holds for you and for Harness. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time. And we're really excited in the direction that we're headed. And, you know, we thank you and everybody at DCA for all of your support. 
Commerce Code is a weekly podcast bringing you conversations with executives who are leading the way in digital commerce. If you like Commerce Code, your company should join the Digital Commerce Alliance and become part of our mission of advancing trade for good through standard setting, industry networking, conferences, and best practices. Check out our website at www.digcomall.org. On behalf of DCA, have a great week.